We don't want to disrupt, displace, disrespect people. Tonight, three annual Vancouver festivals are being displaced by a homeless camp. Plus, it's been a complete disaster. How rain is ruining BC cherry crops, but not improving the wildfire forecast. And get some great views of the John Street Bridge going up. And a whole lot more, all from your very own personal hot tub. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening, I'm Colleen Christie. Thanks for joining us. The homeless crisis in Metro Vancouver is front and center in Oppenheimer Park on the downtown east side. A growing number of people are now camping in the park, and that's led organizers of at least three summer events planned for the site to relocate. Nadia Stewart reports on one park board commissioner who says the city needs a, to find a long-term solution to the problem. Every year, Lotus Light Charity volunteers descend on the downtown east side, handing out food and gifts for the homeless. Typically, they set up in Oppenheimer Park. Most of the time, we hold it at the park, right? This is the first year in the street. Set up on the street beside the park, they say, out of respect for the growing number of people pitching tents and calling Oppenheimer home. It's the same story for Union Gospel Mission next Saturday, relocating their 20th annual summer barbecue to Crab Park. It all comes down to respect. We don't want to disrupt, displace, disrespect people who are living there already under difficult circumstances. And we don't believe the solution is just moving and displacing people. And neither do the organizers of the Powell Street Festival, who are now moving their upcoming event for the same reasons. The Festival Society's executive director says the situation at Oppenheimer is palpable. The homeless issue, homelessness issue is province-wide. But I think at Oppenheimer Park, we're really seeing how many people are in need of safe, stable housing. The city has acknowledged the challenges those living in the park face, but there still doesn't appear to be a concrete plan to reduce the number of campers. It's why Park Board Commissioner John Cooper is calling on the city to do more. The Park Board needs to be a little better supported by the city of Vancouver to say, you know, we're going to keep parks clean and safe. We're going to find other alternatives. Question is, what are those other alternatives? We need to see elevation of response on every level. We all, every citizen, park board or bureaucrat or general citizen needs to really make an effort to understand the complexities of poverty and homelessness and uh, what we're seeing today in the park. Nadia Stewart, Global News. The Vancouver Park Board is being asked to approve major improvements and expansions to the city's West End beaches. On Monday, the board will debate a staff report to create a master plan for the region, which includes Sunset Beach, English Bay, Alexander Park and Morton Park. According to the report, the West End is anticipated to grow by 4% each year in population and tourism growth. The plan could include everything from enhanced recreational spaces within the parks and beaches to converting roadways into expanded park spaces. One park board commissioner says the plan needs to include sewer separation to prevent sewage from ending up in English Bay. 
One of the things that I'm concerned that's missing from the plan is, uh, you know, False Creek drains uh, into English Bay right in front of our beaches, and we have a E. coli problem right now. Uh, I would have liked to see reference, and I hope to be able to add reference in the report to separation of sewers as a, as a high priority item in order to make sure the beaches are clean at uh, English Bay and Sunset Beach. The BC Wildfire Service says despite recent rainfall, we should expect regular wildfire conditions this month. Parts of the province still have underlying drought conditions that could rapidly dry fuels once rainfall tapers off. The northern and coastal fire regions are predicted to have above normal conditions. There have been 448 fires since April 1st. Right now, there are 11 active fires in the Coastal Fire Centre, four in Northwest and Prince George, and two each in the Kamloops and Southeast Fire Centres. And while the rain in the Okanagan may bring a little bit of relief for those concerned about wildfires, it spells disaster for orchardists in the region. As Jules Knox explains, they fear they may have lost more than half their cherry crops, if not more. It's been a complete disaster. It's just, uh, we didn't expect this rain to last this long. The wet weather has been the pits for Okanagan cherry farmers. Continued rain washing away their hopes of a bountiful crop. That's a pretty ugly split. And causing cherries to crack. We've probably lost at least uh, 50%. You get a little bit of rot on there too happening. Orchardist Herb Kempf says he hasn't seen a spell of weather this bad for cherries since the 90s. This is the first time in, in years that we've actually filed for crop insurance. Cherries crack because the flesh of the fruit absorbs water, expanding more quickly than the skin can stretch to accommodate it. And when the pressure becomes too much, the skin splits. For shipping, they won't keep. And if you put them in a box, and even if they're a little bit wet, it's no good either. You can't sell them when they're split. Large commercial growers mobilizing low-flying helicopters in the air using propeller power to blast most of the water off the cherries and following with tractor blowers to get the rest. But Arndt says it's just not economical for smaller operations. At $1,200 an hour, it's, uh, that's a lot of money. So we do our best with some of the uh, sprays that are available. Orchardists say the wet weather is particularly disappointing because up until now, the cherries were big and beautiful. And the cherries are such a good size this year. The bigger they are, the worse they split. And although these cherry farmers are bracing to lose half of their crops, they're hoping the sun returns soon so their losses don't grow anymore. Jules Knox, Global News, Kelowna. A development proposal in the township of Langley is dividing the sleepy community. It involves a plan to take down some local heritage buildings. And as Julia Foy reports, a township councillor is at the heart of the controversy. A new piano is getting a workout in front of a boarded-up business on Fort Langley's Main Street. It's one of eight stores and houses that were closed down last summer by owner Eric Woodward. Now he wants them demolished. Some local business owners are angry. My biggest concern is respecting the heritage value of this town and not letting one particular developer change the face of our town. Jasmine Marjanovic has been a business owner for 20 years. I'm very, very passionate about Fort Langley, and I think that we all need to do what's best for Fort Langley, not just 
for one person. We're trying to create a really special destination here. But Eric Woodward isn't only a developer, he's also a counselor for the township of Langley. We contacted Eric Woodward several times by phone and email asking for an on-camera interview. He refused, saying he was just too busy today attending community events instead of meeting with us to talk about this community concern. He did send us an email, which reads, The development permit for the purposes of demolition and green space restoration has already been thoroughly reviewed by the Township of Langley's Heritage Advisory Committee. It was unanimously adopted by them and recommended for approval by council. I think this speaks for itself. The embody the, the look and feel of Fort Langley. But heritage advocate George Audie disagrees. But what we do have is a few buildings that are 100 years old, a little bit older than that. And if we don't save those houses, what are our children going to have? They're going to have nothing but brand new buildings up and down Fort Langley. Residents we spoke to have mixed reactions. Some of them have like a history and a story, and that's really what makes Fort Langley Fort Langley. It's probably time to be upgraded. Nobody likes change, <laughs> but sometimes it just has to be. Mayor Jack Froh says the demolition issue is not a done deal, and the public can have their say at the July 22nd council meeting. Julia Foy, Global News. A Vancouver tow truck driver who died after a mysterious workplace accident last month was remembered in Delta today. Joe Milley's colleagues towing his Drake towing truck in a procession from Langley to Delta where his celebration of life was held. Milley, a veteran tow truck driver and father of two, was fatally injured during a call in downtown Vancouver on June 5th. He was found unconscious in a pool of blood in the 1000 block of Richard Street. He was discovered next to an illegally parked vehicle he was supposed to tow. He died in hospital three days later. WorkSafe BC and Drake Towing are investigating. Joe touched uh, a lot of people in the towing industry, in the automotive industry, and in the transportation sector itself. He was your average Joe. I think that's the way everybody wants. Um, no, he was super helpful. He was always laughing, very comical. Lots of one-liners. Just. He's a great friend, great colleague, and he would have wanted a big party. So uh, we're going to make sure we give him a good party. A wild crime spree in the East Kootenai has led to charges. 35-year-old Brendan Treacy, 31-year-old Taylor Curl, and 20-year-old Zara Morrison are facing several charges, including auto theft, robbery, dangerous driving, and fleeing police in connection with Thursday's alleged carjacking spree near Sparwood. Police say the suspects, fleeing in a stolen pickup truck, nearly ran over an officer before attempting to carjack several vehicles. Tracy was arrested in a backyard southwest of Fernie after he allegedly stole a vehicle and fled, carjacking a second vehicle and attempting to steal a third. A Princeton woman has a wild tale to tell. She and her friends say they encountered a cougar while out camping in the area this week. Even though the BC Conservation Service is still warning backcountry enthusiasts to remain vigilant about wild animals. As Jill Bennett reports, they also say in this case, the public has no reason to be concerned. It started pushing up against the tent and where it was open, its paw was sitting there. The story sounds too bizarre to be true. Caitlin Nielsen says she and her friend Ethan were camping near the KVR Trestle Bridge in Princeton when around 3 a.m. Thursday morning, an aggressive large cougar, something like this one, approached their tent. It was circling our tent for like a while and I, my first reaction was call 911. Nilsson did call police and says she waited as the cougar stayed just outside the tent for about an hour. And it was like 
this close to my face and I was like looking into its eyes and it, I, I didn't want to back up. I was like, oh my God. And it started snarling and it was licking its lips. Anything is possible in the, in, in, in the wild. But um, in my 20 years experience, I've never heard of that type of behavior being exhibited by a cougar. The BC Conservation Service is investigating, but so far has found no evidence of the incident. There was no tracks. There was no sign of a carcass. There was no sign that, uh, that there was this, this interaction. However, we're living in the province of British Columbia. There's, there are cougars out there on the landscape. That means if you encounter a cougar, there are steps to take. Remain calm and maintain eye contact with, with the cat. Do not turn and run. Make yourself look large and back away slowly. Nilsson didn't get a photo, but insists what she saw was a cougar. When asked if the two will go camping again. I didn't like camping to begin with. The, that, the other day was my first time in three years camping, and I don't think I'll be going again for a while. Jill Bennett, Global News. Well, we know it's not a matter of if, but when the day comes when a major earthquake hits the B.C. coast. In Southern California, that day arrived last night with a massive 7.1 magnitude quake epicentered in Ridgecrest, not far from the popular vacation spot of Palm Springs. People posted to social media showing footage of shaking, including how the tremor created waves in people's pools. And these two news anchors were live on the air when the shaking started. Well, tonight, many residents in the affected area are without food, water, and some are afraid to stay out of, or afraid to go back into their homes. Residents in the small town of Trona still stunned and now taking a closer look at the damage. It's just, it's still so, it's still so shocking. Horrible. It was horrible. Many homes unlivable. Angelica Hernandez overwhelmed by the damage, but she feared more for her young daughter. I didn't know she was hurt. That was more going through my head. Tonight, residents and businesses are without water and power. Roger Sandoval owns the Trona Shell Station. This thing may put me out of business. For now, business for Sandoval is busier than usual. Gas customers drawn by fresh homemade burritos. Jessica Schultz, mother of three, came to stock up on supplies. We all just grabbed each other and fell to the ground and just stayed there until it was done and over. Outside of the shell, crews are still assessing cracked roads, too many to count right now. Doug Parlett has lived in Trona for 55 years. I thought I was having a heart attack. I was going like this. And that same fear spread through Ridgecrest last night. Worst thing you want to do is run to a building, run around, just stop. We were outside. We were fine. When the quake hit, I grabbed my cell phone. This is the scene right after the 7.1 magnitude earthquake. Look, there's a house right there. You see that thick black smoke. Firefighters right now working to put that out. Everything's gone. Yeah, yeah. Well, it is the news Raptor fans were dreading. Today, Kawhi Leonard appears to have signed with the L.A. Clippers. He'll reportedly make $142 million over the next four years in a move that takes him home and to another opportunity. Well, tonight, as Matthew Bingley reports, NBA fans in Canada are saying thank you and goodbye. After days of watching, waiting, hoping, the news Toronto Raptors fans were dreading the most came while many of them slept. Kawhi has made his decision. Seems like the announcement is out. Among the first official hints that superstar Kawhi Leonard would not be returning came from fellow teammate Danny Green, who also announced he won't be back. Teaming up my new team in L.A., the Los Angeles Lakers. Reaction to the news Leonard was going to the L.A. Clippers came quick, including from Mayor John Tory. Kawhi, 
you brought us a championship. And that's important in the city. Uh, we haven't had too many of those in recent times. And Both Leonard and Green came to Toronto from San Antonio in 2018, part of a package deal in return for Raptors all-star DeMar DeRozan. It was a one-year gambit that paid off with the franchise's first championship win, but that doesn't dull the sadness felt by many Leonard fans right now. I was hoping that Toronto was finally going to be able to, to re-sign an actual superstar for once, but... Uh, I thought maybe there would be, uh, be a sale going on today. Some fans, like Chris James, came to the Raptors store hoping to find a deal on a Leonard jersey. But they've been sold out for weeks. Despite his disappointment, James is just happy to have something to show for it. Not the greatest to see him go, but um, I mean, they got a championship, so you gotta gotta respect him. But in a city still full of signs of playoff glory and still very much crazy for everything Raptors, the question now turns to... What's next? Still uh, rooting for the Raptors. Um, hopefully they can still compete in the East. Well, they'll be a good team. They won't be a great team. Gerald Goth from Glasgow is no stranger to seeing his football club's top players poached. So he has some advice for grieving fans. It's not just about one player. It's about everybody. So there's nothing to say that they can't, can't go as far next year. It's fair to say other fans are being a little bit more realistic, many of whom know the void left behind by Leonard will be tough to fill. Matthew Bingley, Global News, Toronto. And Barry and Yvonne are here, and we were just talking, uh, Kawhi Leonard, one powerful guy. Yeah, th there's no league uh, in, in sport in the world like basketball, the NBA, where the stars literally have the star power, like, Le like, he, like LeBron James. He decides where he wants to go. Kawhi, basically, if, if he couldn't have got Paul George to ask for a trade and get to L.A. with the Clippers, he probably would have stayed with the Raptors. But they, they made it happen. There were so many layers to this deal. Do you think that's why it took a week uh, to happen? But yeah. he always wanted to go home to L.A. Yeah. If not, he had a great situation in Toronto. But plan A was always L.A. And he's there. So it's too bad. But you know what? One championship is better than none. So I don't think Raptor fans are, you know, like angry at this guy. How can you be? I think they're sad. You know, it's too good to be true that he'd come back and, you know, maybe have a bit of a dynasty. But the end of the day, that is business in the NBA. That's better just the have, way it goes. Yeah, what is it? Loved, loved and lost than never loved at I, all. I would know that better. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I know. It's, it's like, hard to follow that. It's such a downer now. Yeah. It is. I was down all day when I found out. I know. It was, like, it was oh, trending man. all day. Everybody's been talking about it. No so um, our start to our weekend as we uh, segue into weather somehow um, has been a gray one. It is dreary out there. Uh, we are still tracking a bit of instability. When we take a look at the satellite and radar and a severe thunderstorm watch is still into the southeastern areas that pushes in towards the Elk Valley. The Kootenai included within that. So we're still tracking some thunderstorms this evening. Quite active out there. It'll still be another gray day for tomorrow, but not a complete washout. And we've got one day or a couple of days uh, where things are going to start to brighten up. So I'll show you those coming up very shortly. That's the silver lining. Yes. In Florida, more than a dozen people are being treated for injuries tonight after an apparent gas explosion tore through a shopping center. It happened this morning in the community of Plantation, about 40 meters north of Miami. The blast is believed to have come from inside a vacant pizza place. It destroyed the restaurant and severely damaged several nearby businesses and vehicles. 
In Alberta, police and the military have coordinated to detonate a piece of unexploded ordnance found by climbers in Jasper National Park. The RCMP say climbers found the device on the north side of Mount Athabasca on Thursday. Mounties say park staff guided officers and members of the Department of National Defense through the hazardous mountain terrain to find the bomb and detonate it safely. The climbers are being commended for photographing the device and reporting its exact location. Alberta's Writing on Stone Monument has officially been designated a UNESCO World Heritage Site. The designation was made at UNESCO's annual meeting in Azerbaijan today and follows more than a decade of advocacy by indigenous groups and the provincial government. The site is described as an ancient and sacred cultural landscape where indigenous peoples have created rock art for millennia, containing thousands of rock carvings and paintings. About 60,000 people visit the site each year. Passengers heading from Hamilton, Ontario to Las Vegas had quite the adventure, and that was before the plane even took off. Officials with Swoop say they received a report that someone had thrown something onto one of the engines during boarding. Swoop canceled the flight, performing an inspection, and when there was nothing found, the plane was cleared to fly the next day. Passengers also said the plane was so hot while boarding, a flight attendant passed out. Yeah, it was crazy. The flight had no air conditioning, no AC. Um, our flight attendant actually passed, passed out. out. From heat stroke. Um, so they had the emergency crew and everyone all come. We were all sweating, dripping in sweat. <laughs> it was just crazy. Well, not only were the Hamilton passengers stranded overnight, those waiting to take the flight from Vegas back to Hamilton were left without a plane. Swoop says passengers who wanted to cancel would get a full refund. An airliner was forced to make an emergency landing in Boston because of a fire that was on board. Authorities now believe they know how it started with a phone charger. More now on a growing threat from devices many of us carry on board. The pilot of a Virgin Atlantic plane with 217 passengers on board Thursday declaring an emergency. Uh, We have uh, smoke in the cabin. Authorities say this is now all that is left of the external phone charger that sparked the fire. The spare lithium battery igniting a seat cushion, forcing the flight which was supposed to go from New York's JFK to London to land in Boston instead. Massachusetts State Police and Virgin Airlines are now investigating. But experts say the danger from spare lithium batteries on planes is only getting worse. It's one of the very few parts of aviation that actually the risk is increasing. People bring more of these lithium batteries on, they get damaged, they get hot, and we have these onboard fires. Last July, this external charger caught fire on a Ryanair flight. The FAA reports 258 incidents involving the batteries since 1991. 49 of those happened just last year. Right now, the FAA bans spare lithium batteries, e-cigarettes, and vaping devices from checked bags. Passengers must carry them on. The agency saying the cabin crew and passengers can control overheating or a fire. If you notice a, your device getting hot to the touch, you need to let a flight attendant know. Experts say the batteries are now in so many devices, it would be virtually impossible to ban them altogether. But watch them in between seat cushions and never carry damaged batteries on board. The FAA saying, when in doubt, leave it out. Now hoping passengers are paying attention. Kristen Dahlgren, NBC News, New York. 
some stunning video out of Virginia where a sinkhole completely swallowed up a vehicle. Have a look at this. The vehicle is fully be below road level here. Officials haven't confirmed the cause of the sinkhole, but believe heavy rain may have blown out a pipe under the street, forcing the concrete to give way. A crane will have to remove the car. It's expected to take days, if not weeks, to repair the massive sinkhole. Heat warnings have been issued for people in Alaska. The southern part of the state is in the midst of a heat wave so intense it's shattered all-time records. Thursday was the hottest day ever recorded in Anchorage. The temperature hit a sweltering 32 degrees Celsius, and it comes on the heels of Alaska's driest and hottest June on record. In Health Matters, Netflix says it's going to cut down on smoking in its original programming. The streaming platform issued a statement to CBS website comicbook.com saying, Going forward, all new projects that we commission with ratings of TV 14 or below for series or PG 13 or below for films will be smoking and e-cigarette free except for reasons of historical or factual accuracy. The move comes after criticism about its series Stranger Things. The anti-smoking group Truth Initiative issued a report earlier this week that found that every episode in the first two seasons of Stranger Things included smoking. Its third season began streaming on Thursday, and it also includes smoking scenes. Thousands packing West 4th Avenue in Vancouver today for the 8th annual Catsilano Street Party. The fair features musicians, artisans, street performers and of course food vendors in a 10 block area from Burrard Street to McDonald. Vancouver band Hey Ocean is headlining the festival which wraps up at 9 o'clock tonight. And it may be the most controversial royal christening in generations. We're going to tell you why right after Yvonne's forecast. And Yvonne, a little bit spitty today. Yeah, so sort of a sprinkle out there. Yeah. We saw a few umbrellas from that shot there. <laughs> but uh, we are going to be still seeing some instability. If you're planning on heading out this evening, you can see that with the ominous looking clouds. And this is overlooking the Lush Bay this, uh, tonight. So we're still seeing a chance of showers. We'll hang on to that cloud cover. Temperatures are sitting at 20 degrees and that's what our high was today. We're still around where we should be for this time of the year, 21 but not quite record-breaking. It's feeling more like June rather than July. And on this day, 28 degrees is back in 1958. A few other spots today with Kelowna getting up to 24 degrees, the Soyuz 26, the Peace into the low 20s, Victoria 18, and Tofino today up to 17 degrees. Now the action still across the central and southern half of the province, interior areas, especially the southeastern corners where we, are, we do have severe thunderstorm watch that is in effect and we're still watching those lightning strikes pushing across, especially for the Thompson Okanagan. They'll start to ease off though late this evening. Now the severe thunderstorm watch, east Kootenai Elk Valley and the Kootenai Lake where we could see intense downpours, very windy conditions and the potential to see hail. Now for this evening, so we are still looking at that cloud cover, a chance of showers for tomorrow morning across the south coast. We'll have cloud cover, shower activity and then, activity, and then it'll ease off. As we get closer towards the noon hour, we are going to see drier conditions but still see that cloud cover through the day and for the interior, it is going to pop up once again with the risk of thunderstorms right across the board. Now 
here's an update on the fire danger rating. Please be diligent. The drought levels, we are looking at very low to low for many spots in the interior, but an update on the uh, 26 active fires that we do have from the BC Wildfire Service, seven in the last two days, and five of them uh, human-caused and 19 of them lightning-caused, so we're keeping a close eye as we do track those thunderstorms. For the piece, up to 20 degrees tomorrow with the chance of showers cooler on Monday and Tuesday, but it should be dry for the beginning of the week. White horse, we do have areas of smoke. 25 is the high tomorrow. Along the coast, it should remain dry. It's inland tomorrow for the northern half that we're seeing the risk of thunderstorms. Caribou and central interior will be included within that. Highs up to 23 degrees, and then Monday, Tuesday, on and off showers. Columbia and Kootenai region, still one more unsettled day. Temperatures up to 23. Thompson, Okanagan, it'll be similar. And then a warming up into early next week with Tuesday climbing up to 28. Whistler will see a little bit of that instability. Risk of a thunderstorm. It's a cooler day tomorrow with only a high of 18. And along the island, it's really the central and southern half that we are seeing that cloud cover. A chance for showers will be for the morning and then drying out towards the the afternoon, but we're still seeing cloud cover for the island, south coast, metro Vancouver, but the showers will ease off for the afternoon. Monday, pleasant, up to 23 degrees. Looks like we'll get into some sunny breaks. The next round of rain will be late Tuesday and leading in towards our Wednesday. Colleen? All right, thanks so much, Yvonne. The youngest member of Britain's royal family was christened today in a very, very private family ceremony at Windsor Castle. Only two photos were released to mark the baptism of Archie, the two-month-old son of the Duke and Duchess of Sussex. His parents, Harry and Meghan, have been criticized for not giving the public a glimpse of the event, nor revealing the names of his godparents while still accepting public funds for their home renovations. Well, I think it's very hurtful to the fans. Very, very hurtful. And uh, I don't quite understand what's happening because Prince Harry is Diana's son, he's royal. And suddenly he wants to be royal, then he doesn't want to be royal. And he's throwing us crumbs. We've had the fingers, we've had the toes. When are we ever going to see the baby? Uh, I think it's a private thing with the, with the family, but it'd be nice if they were to come out afterwards and just sort of like maybe show the public that the baby's been christened. But I do think it's a family affair. As a father of five kids, the first instinct is to protect your children. You want to say, oh, nothing should touch them. So that's, I understand that. But as a grandson of Diana, it's difficult. It's going to be hard. Because at some point in time, the people are going to want to know. Last night was Seinfeld night at the Phillies-Mets game in City Field in New York. Of course, there could only be one person to throw the ceremonial first pitch, none other than Jerry Seinfeld himself. The first Seinfeld episode, get this, aired 30 years ago this weekend. Ooh, through a strike. Wow. You know, they did have a lot of baseball references, mostly with the Yankees. Uh, well, because, because actually, I think Buck Showalter, who was a, a manager at the time, was on the show. And the, and the characters would, uh, you know, complain about... Uh, you know, some of the moves they made and getting well, and rid George of Danny Tarnable. Yankees, right? George worked for the Yankees, dragged the World Series trophy around the park. Great show. Great ah, show. memories. All right. <laughs> We're going to talk a bit about Kauai, if you yeah. haven't heard. Uh, when you hear what had ha- had to happen in order to get Kawhi Leonard to sign with the Clippers, you understand why it took so long for the finals MVP to finally make his way home. Let's face it, Kawhi always wanted to play in L.A., but only if he could have a legitimate chance of winning another championship. If not, he would gladly stay in Toronto, and it seemed that that would be the case up until maybe Thursday, early Friday, until 
Kawhi contacted fellow star Paul George and made him an offer he couldn't refuse. Join me in L.A. with the Clippers and we'll win together. But that took some doing. George had to demand a trade from Oklahoma. And after much negotiation, the Clippers gave up five first-round draft picks plus young Canadian talent Shea Gilgis-Alexander to close the deal and, of course, land the biggest prize, Kawhi Leonard. The Raptors were also apparently in the George trade talks but they felt they were used as leverage by the Thunder to get the best deal from the Clippers. Now, for Raptors fans, obviously a tough day, but the fact that Kawhi even considered coming back tells you how much he enjoyed his time and his teammates winning the championship and taking Toronto and all of Canada on a wild ride they will never forget. As for the Raptors, they not only lose Kawhi, but also three-point shooter Danny Green, who goes to the Lakers on a two-year deal. So two big holes to fill for the Raps, who still have a very good core, but they need to add a couple of pieces to get back into the finals. It was fun while it lasted, but that's business in the NBA. The Lions, of course, wouldn't say it publicly this week, but if they couldn't beat the sad sack Argos today, then they are really in trouble. The Lions and Argos are the only two teams in the CFL without a win, but Toronto has been shelled in its two losses. The Lions should have won last week in Calgary, blowing an 11-point lead in the final two minutes. Let's see if they could take out their frustrations on the Argos. Still gold bunch right, sail out, 760 rut, X bingo snatch, W flat, Z snap go, alpha alpha, ready to go, right? Yeah. All right, that's what it sounds like in a pro huddle. You think you can still play football? I think this was not the play call, an interception by Quadarius Ford who returns it to the BC 40, but the Lions defense returns the favor. Anthony Thompson with the pick in the end zone off Argo quarterback McLeod Bethel Thompson. Very sluggish offenses on both sides. Lions finally got something going. Mike Riley to Lamar Durant inside the 10, led to a field goal. 3-3 at the half. Now that's not entertainment. Third quarter, after the Argos fumbled, Lions turn it into points. Riley will air it out to Lamar Durant, 29 yards, wide open for the touchdown. Durant's fourth of the year. He's got 10 catches already tonight, make it 11. No Brian Burnham, so they're really leaning on Durant. Meanwhile, Chris Rainey rocked on the kickoff return by Jordan Herdman-Reed. Ball goes flying. Rainey goes down. He was okay. The Lions pumped up, but Rainey, who of course is a former Lion, gets his revenge later in the quarter. He's going to take the punt return and take it all the way. 78 yards for the touchdown. The Argos missed the point after. Why wouldn't they? They're the Argos. So the Lions still led 10 to 9. BC responds. Nice long drive. 75 yards capped by this three-yard TD run by John White. 17-9 Lions very late in the fourth. They should be able to hang on to this one. The Whitecaps will have Ali Adnan in the uh, lineup tonight in L.A. against Western Conference leading Los Angeles FC. The Whitecaps paid a $2 million-plus transfer fee to Italian club Udinese to make Adnan a full-time member of the Whitecaps. Adnan's been their best player this year, so it's money well spent. The Caps have just four wins this year, but one of them came against LAFC. Women's World Cup, third place game, England-Sweden. Swedes get the jump. Already up 1-0, Sofia Jakobsen will curl it inside the far post. Brilliant shot there. 2-0 Sweden after just 22 minutes, but England respond Fran Kirby making the run, cuts it inside, goes to the left foot, and that's a great shot posting in. That cut the lead 
to two to one. And just two minutes later, England put another into the back of the net. Ellen White takes it off the chest and then puts it in, but they're going to go to VAR to see if she handled that ball, and they say it just got a piece of her arm, so no goal. Handball, it remains 2-1. Late second half, England pushing for the tie. Ball settles to Lucy Bronze, who thumps it, but Swedish defender on the line heads it away. What a play. Sweden win the bronze 2-1. Gold medal match tomorrow, USA and the Netherlands. Third place match in the Copa America, Argentina versus Chile. Already 1-0 Argentina when Paulo Dybala makes it 2-0 Argentina as he wins the race to chip it over the keeper. But the big news in this one, 37th minute, Lionel Messi and Gary Medel get into it, both tossed with red cards for all this chest bumping. Only the second time in his national team career that Messi's been given a straight red card. Argentina still won 2-1. The final in the Copa goes tomorrow, Brazil against Peru. Welcome back. Adam Hadwin's had a pretty solid PGA season. He does have a second-place finish, but he's in the hunt again at the inaugural 3M Open in Minneapolis. Hadwin played in the final group just three shots off the lead when round three began. Playing in uh, the final group with Bryson DeChambeau, who had the lead at 15-under. After an early bogey, Adam gets it going on the par 3-fourth. Tee shot to about eight feet, and he would roll that in for birdie. Gets back to 12 under, and then on the next hole from the first cut of rough, Adwin, or Hadwin puts a great uh, swing on this one from 147 yards inside three feet. Makes that for birdie. Got to 13 under. His round stalled in the middle until the 17th rolls in the 13-footer for, for birdie, rather, and then at 18, despite not having his best day, this eagle attempt is to tie for the lead. And look how close this comes to going in. Just slides by, but taps it in for birdie or just a bit short. Hadwin at 14 under, just one off the lead heading to Sunday. Maris Rogers Sloan also having a solid tournament. Rolls in the 22-footer for par at 15. Sloan tied for ninth at minus 12. He's just three off the lead. And Surrey's Adam Svensson, one of the shots of the day, chips in for birdie from the rough. Svensson tied for 17th at 10 under. Nick Taylor, by the way, tied 47th at minus 7. So a big BC contingent this week in Minnesota. Newly turned pro Matthew Wolf. He's got that Jim Furyk-like quirky swing, but it's uh, obviously working. What a round. 9 under 62. The 20-year-old playing in uh, one of his first pro tournaments is tied for the lead at minus 15. Bryson DeChambeau didn't do much today, but he did birdie the 18th to get to minus 15 and a tie for the lead going into the final round tomorrow. Third round from Wimbledon. Second seed Roger Federer putting on another show against Lucas Puy of France. He may be 37, but Roger's won eight Wimbledon titles, and he moves as good as anyone on tour, 37 or not. Does anyone volley better than this guy? Fantastic point. Took the opening set. Second set, Federer chases down a a fantastic volley by Puy and somehow hits the running forehand winner. What an angle. What a shot. Federer moves on to the fourth round in straight sets over Lucas Puy. Meanwhile, third seed, Rafa Nadell with no problems against Joe Wilford Sanga. Rafa to the net. Stab volley here for the winner. 
and he rolls past Sanga 6-2-6-3-6-2. So Rafa into the fourth round. Women's side, Serena Williams, seated 11th. Hasn't played a lot of matches this year, but Serena still powers her way past Germany's Julia Gerga, 6-3-6-4. Serena also won her first round mixed doubles with uh, Great Britain's Andy Murray. That's a popular tandem. No tennis tomorrow on Middle Sunday. Raonic in action Monday in the fourth round. Stage one, Tour de France, opening stage starting in downtown Brussels in honor of Eddie Merck's first of five tour victories. Serious crash during the final two uh, few kilometers. This almost claimed the front runners. Thankfully, no one seriously injured. Never fun going down on the pavement, but it's a fact of life in the Tour de France. Sprint to the finish, Peter Sagan, Caleb Ewan, and Mike Tenusen. Wheel to wheel, tremendous finish. Sagan thinks he's won it throws his arms up, but you got to go to the slow-mo replay, and it went to a photo finish, and it's actually Mike Tunison claiming the first yellow jersey of this year's Tour de France wins it by a thread. All right, World Beach Volleyball Championship from Hamburg, Germany. Our Canadian women making some history. The duo of Sarah Pavin and Melissa Humana Paradis of Ontario winning Canada's first ever medal at the World Beach Volleyball Championships. Not only did they win a medal, they won the gold, knocking off the highly touted Americans. They win it 23-21 and 23-21. There's match point. They're celebrating. Massive win for them, the world champs, and it also earns them an automatic berth into the Olympics. That's why they're so happy. Yay! <laughs> That's awesome. Thanks so much, Barry. There is now a new way to check out scenic Victoria from the water. Today, what may be the country's first ever hot tub boat rental company launched? Kristen Robinson looks at whether this venture is likely to sink or swim. And it just steps right down. It's perfect. It's got a nice little step slash seat. Just add water, heated by briquettes via an onboard stove, and Victoria's hot tub boats are ready to cruise. You drive it yourself, and you can go up the gorge waterway. Get some great views of the John Street Bridge going up. Across the water, schooner boats in London launched Hot Tug two years ago, billed as the world's first floating hot tub. Overall, it's pretty clear sailing. It's all easily marked or identifiable. Now, two entrepreneurs hoping to replicate that relaxing, water-filled ride in BC's capital city, minus the booze. We ask that people don't uh, participate in drugs and alcohol and also refrain from excessive uh, exposure and um, that kind of stuff. You know, the laws still apply. Tanner McLeod and his partner's new venture drifting for up to two years as they rode through regulatory approvals. We're opening up a can of worms here, but Victoria has a lot of untapped treasures. I think it's going to be a hit. It's, it's great. Despite a slow start at the grand opening, bookings are floating in for the one-and-a-half-hour, $65 per passenger hot tub cruise. I've been out on kayaks and paddleboards before, but this is just the whole other, whole other level. I think it's a pretty stellar idea. Everyone likes hot tubs and everyone loves being in the ocean and you're kind of a mixture of both. We really rinse it out. After each pool party, the hot tub boats will undergo a deep clean before returning to their float zone in the city's upper harbour. I think Victoria is a great spot to launch this. Where they're positioned from the Johnson Street Bridge kind of uh, north is a good thing. It's out of the heavy traffic of the harbour. Hot tub boat Victoria plans to stay afloat year-round and eventually expand to Vancouver and Kelowna. We want to make this a Canadian thing. Kristen Robinson, Global News. Okay, we well, both looked at each other and said, you're right, we went, excuse me? No, that makes it, I think it would be better in the winter. Yeah, the colder nice the better, yeah. Yeah. yeah.
You wouldn't have to jump into the water to cool off. <laughs> we'll see if it works. Have a great night. <laughs>